Welcome to the Patricia Raskin Show, the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions. And now, the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio. Here's your host, Patricia Raskin. Hi, everyone, and I'm Patricia Raskin. It's wonderful to be with you. We're in our 20th year now on voiceamerica.com. And we have a very interesting topic today, and one that is not often talked about, sometimes uncomfortable for people. And we're bringing it out in the open and really looking at this from many different facets. My guest is Jane Ward, and she is a professor of gender and sexuality studies at the University of California, Riverside, where she teaches courses in feminist, queer, and heterosexual studies. She is the author of two previous books, Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men, and Respectfully Queer, Diversity Culture in LGBT Activist Organizations. She has a brand new book, and it's called This Tragedy of Heterosexuality. And it's really a passionate call for the awakening of straight women, but offer, off, also offers men a guide to navigating the complexities of heterosexual desire in the area of the Me Too and Me Too movement. Welcome, Jane. Thank you. So great to be here. Yeah, thank you. You know, I, I said this to you off air, and I want to bring this up. Uh, the, the, the title of the book is a trigger for me. You know, when I hear the tragedy of heterosexuality, that triggers me because I am heterosexual and I'm proud of it. Now, I will say that I have close people in my life that are not heterosexual and I love them and I don't have an issue with it. My issue is the title seems to say, oh, gee, what a tragedy that you are who you are. So why don't you talk about that a little bit? Thank you for asking that. I think a lot of people have been triggered by the title to this book. I mean, some people, a lot of LGBT people love it because they kind of get the joke, which is that we have been called tragic for over 100 years now. So the title is intended to kind of um, provoke straight people to imagine what it would be like to have someone say that about you. But Mm. I guess the other thing to say about it is that... um, it's really not about heterosexuality being tragic as much, or, or heterosexual sexual orientation being tragic as much as it's about straight culture and the really restrictive gender roles and the enduring inequalities that often shape straight relationships in ways mm-hmm. that make women in particular pretty unhappy. So mm-hmm. um, I try to make that really clear that I'm not, I'm in no way suggesting that being straight is a problem. Like you said, you know, some of my best friends are straight <laughs> and I yeah. love them. Well, you know, I think if we look at um, some of the current movies and some of the, you know, if you look at Jeffrey Epstein and you look at um, who was the one the movie was written about, who's um, now I believe he's in jail. Um the big, big, famous producer. I can see oh, him. Oh, Harvey I, Weinstein. Yes, thank you. Yeah, yes. I mean, and that whole movie. What was that movie called? I think it was called Bombshell. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, I mean, and, and you see, you know, what women go through with so-called, you know, with heterosexuality that's harassment. And right. that, you know, is threatening to their lifestyle and to their career and to their reputation. So right. um, it's not all roses and honey for people who are heterosexual. Right. But um, I think what I would love to hear is why you felt this was so important 
to talk about sort of in relationship to homosexuality. Right. So, you know, I'm 47 and I'm married. My wife and I have been together for 15 years now and we have an 11-year-old kiddo. And um, once we became parents, we started spending a lot of time with other parents that we met through our child's school. And I became pretty close friends with a lot of married straight women whom I might not otherwise have met um, had I not mm-hmm. met them through our child's school. Yeah. And one of the things I noticed is that many of these women spent really a tremendous amount of time complaining about the very men that they were supposed to love. <laughs> and mm. uh, this is their husbands. And also started kind of watching one by one as women in my life uh, went through divorces and seeing some of the patterns and not just in my own life, but also as a feminist researcher and somebody who teaches kind of just basic introduction to gender inequality courses. We also have a wealth of feminist research on not just the kinds of inequalities that you were naming with uh, like sexual harassment and sexual violence, those are really on the extreme end. Uh, really, this book is more about just the daily injustices of married women feeling kind of like their husbands are another child, that, you know, they have to kind of micromanage him, they have to clean up after him, they have to remind him to take care of basic functions like you know, um, being to the kids' school on time when there's a when there's a performance, just this general sense that men are often not equal adult partners in the marriage, and that's really consistent with what we see um, in research on divorce. Uh, that that most divorces are initiated by women, not by men, and they're often. Uh, initiated because of these very kinds of reasons. And so, so what started to happen for me was that I was holding this juxtaposition of how much unhappiness I was seeing in straight relationships. And then the story we tell in the culture about how hard and tragic it is to be gay or lesbian, when that really isn't my experience of LGBT relationships. I mean, not that we're, our relationships are perfect, but they're not kind of structurally set up around these gender inequalities and they don't normalize or naturalize these gender inequalities based on like, well, women are like this and men are like this. So it was that contradiction that I wanted to address in this book. Yeah, I think that's very important. And what did you find? What were the contradictions you found that made you, uh, that, that looked at this differently? Yeah, so... One of the contradictions, uh, I call the misogyny contradiction, and this is the fact that, you know, we understand heterosexuality to be a sexual orientation based in, like, natural physiological attraction to the opposite sex. And Mm -hmm. that, you know, for centuries was understood to just kind of... I mean, I mean, the concept of heterosexuality is really only 150 years old, that term. But for centuries, opposite sex partnership was really just about, it was an economic contract. It was a way, you know, under patriarchy for um, men to pass on their possessions to their male heirs and so mm-hmm. forth. 
And it didn't really require a lot of affection or mutual regard or soulmatedness the way we think about it today that you're, you know, you ideally are marrying your best friend. Instead, this was primarily um, a kind of pragmatic arrangement. But in the 20th century, we start to have these much deeper expectations for how women and men should really like their spouse. They should respect their spouse. Mm -hmm. And because Mm -hmm. that's actually quite a new uh, expectation, it produced a lot of tension in the 20th century. And you can see Mm -hmm. that tension running through all of the self-help books from that period. That Mm -hmm. men were not raised, boys and men were not raised to actually respect women, to care about their wives' thoughts or feelings. Really, Mm -hmm. the expectation was that, you know, men went out and worked uh, and came home and they wanted a pleasant, mostly quiet, attractive housewife who, Mm. you know, was just kind of there as a servant and for emotional support for him. Well, you know, yeah, and I want to bring something up here because only because recently I've been watching a lot of period dramas. I enjoy them. Mm -hmm. And if you watch the period dramas, we're going, right, 1800s, uh, yeah, usually 1800s. I mean, it was all about getting married. I mean, this is the whole story, was getting right. married. It didn't matter. And even in the dramas, you know, people would say, she'd, someone would say, but I don't love the person. And the other retort would be, it doesn't matter. That's not right. this. this is, that isn't what this is about. This is about right. your standing and, you know, you won't have standing. You won't have security. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a lot of centuries to move through to, right. you know, to where we are now. Yeah, exactly. And we and that's one of the points I make in the book is that we actually can't just turn on a dime like that in the same way that I think we're really grappling in this country. We have been grappling over the last few months with, you know, what does it mean to really confront four centuries of racism in a country that hasn't fully owned up to it, hasn't fully healed mm-hmm. it and how we right. live with the legacy of that. And, and so what I'm suggesting is we, you know, for centuries, marriage was all about um, men's prerogative and mm. men's capacity to um, pass on their possessions to their offspring. And it wasn't about, and it was also about producing children who would become workers to support yes. the family. Yes. And so now we have a really different expectation, but without having figured out how men and women are going to get along and what it means to for men to learn to really love and respect women in a culture that still continues to normalize men's disrespect of women. And that's what I call the misogyny contradiction. And you see it in a book like, let's say, John Gray's um, phenomenal bestseller, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, which was um, the global best-selling nonfiction book of yeah. the 1990s. You know, it was translated into so many different languages. Right. And that's really a striking thing to know about how popular that book was when you unpack the message that that book um, conveyed, which is basically that men and women are so fundamentally different that they don't naturally 
like one another. They often find one another irritating. They don't communicate well. Um, women want men to listen to them talk about their day, and men often resent that because they really just want to fix the problem quickly. They don't want to have to emotionally process. You know, it just goes on and on about all the ways that men and women find each other but, irritating. Right, but but Jane, I think in today's world where we have now, you know, we call it um, the metrosexual, you know, the man who has the both qualities, the feminine and the sensitivity and the masculine, you know, in terms of those stereotypes. So I think some of that's changing, and I think it's changing with millennial men who um, are often more sensitive. What do you think? Well... I hope so. I have to say, I don't think I would have been able to write this book and have people see the um, the gravity of it uh, if it hadn't been for what was happening in the broader political environment, which is that we had elected a president of the United States who bragged about grabbing women by the genitals and who mm-hmm. regularly rated women on a scale of 1 to 10 of their attractiveness, and for whom 50% of the country voted. So I think, yes, of course, there's always change. There was change in the 1970s with hippie culture. There mm-hmm. was change, you know, in the 1990s with sort of like various kinds of emo boys. And, and yet, uh, misogyny always persist and it will persist unless people become more comfortable with the kinds of interventions that actually work Mm -hmm. and those are feminist interventions but unfortunately feminism still has a bad name well we're going to talk about that when we come back we're going to talk about some interventions we're going to take a quick break my guest is jane ward and her brand new book is called The Tragedy of Homosexuality, of Heterosexuality. <laughs> See what I did there? Um, of Heterosexuality. And she's a professor of gender and sexuality studies at the University of California, Riverside, where she teaches courses in feminist, queer, and heterosexuality studies. She's the author of two previous books Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men, and Respectably Queer diversity culture in LGBT activist organizations. And again, her new book is The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. Stay tuned, folks. We're going to talk more about how do we, uh, you know, how do we begin to sort of change our perceptions and, and change the way we look at things and how is that already changing, you know, step by step. All right, you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com, America's Voice, and we'll be right back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. A brave heart is anyone with the courage to be of service to others. If you have that courage, then Bravehearts Radio with Brian Reinbold is for you. Even if you aren't yet, you'll want to still tune in to get inspired, create your own story to share, and change your life for the better. Listen to the stories of service and courage shared by amazing guests and your input, too. Listen for Brave Hearts Radio, Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember, doing good anywhere does good everywhere. 
Do you want to hear a show about football? How about football moms? What if we told you that was just a start? Tune in for Double Down with Garrett and Mack. Audrey Garrett and Jeracy Mack are moms to some well-known NFL players. Sure, they'll talk football and raising their kids to achieve greatness, but they'll also talk about community and world issues, motherhood, news, and lifestyle topics. Listen in every Monday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want an insider's pass to everything that goes on in Hollywood? Join Summer Helene every week for Behind the Scenes. Summer Helene is known as the Duchess of Hollywood because she knows the insiders, legends, and celebs and brings the stories, the gossip, and the backstage scoop. It's the real Hollywood, though. So this program is for adults only. Behind the Scenes can be heard live every Friday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. We are back talking with Jane Ward who is a professor of gender and sexuality studies at the University of California, Riverside, where she teaches courses in feminist, queer, and heterosexuality studies. She's the author of two previous books, Not Gay, Sex Between Straight White Men, and her other book, Respectfully, Respectably Queer, Diversity, Culture, and LGBT Activist Organizations. And we're talking about her newest book, which is called The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. And in our first segment, I had said in the beginning that I was a little bit triggered by that title because, you know, as a heterosexual individual, I don't feel it's a tragedy. But Jane, as you explained, um, you know, that was more for marketing purposes. And as you explained, a lot of people who are homosexual have been told that they're a tragedy for a long time. So it was kind of... um, I guess, a, a way of looking at it differently. Is that an honest assessment? Jane? Yes, and also highlighting that from a queer perspective, looking in at straight culture, not at right. heterosexual right. desire itself, but at straight culture, that often right. straight culture appears to be kind of miser- to make people miserable. Right, so let me ask you this. Um, the word queer, again, that's a little bit of a trigger for me. Gay is not. So are gay and queer the same thing or are they different? They're different. Um, so so we have been using the word queer 
um, in the LGBT community since the early 90s. And it does a couple of things that are different from the word gay. Um, One is that it was intended to shift away from um, a description simply of sexual orientation and to signal a particular kind of political stance. So often people who say they are queer aren't just saying, I'm homosexual. They're saying, you know, I embrace sexual and gender non-normativity or transgression. It also Mm. was intended to be a concept that covered um, not just gay men, but lesbians, gay men, bisexual people, um, anybody who in some way, you know, broke the rules around gender and sexuality. So it's a much more expansive term. And so a lot of people use it in that way. I see. So the word, the queer is more expansive. Yes, yes. Yeah, it's more expansive and it often implies a a kind of pride uh, around queerness. And, you know, it's it's one of those reclaiming words in the same way that we see sometimes, you know, um, African-American people will use the N-word. It's taking a word that was once used against us that was intended to really hurt and harm us and saying, you know, actually, we're really proud to be different, to be unusual, which is what that word meant, you know, that there's Mm -hmm. something queer about your gender, your sexuality, Mm. and when that word was used, it was used to really, um, uh, to really injure the other person in some way. Um, And 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 that's interesting, because that's how it, that's interesting, because that's how it feels when I say the word, whereas when I say the word gay, it doesn't have that same connotation for me that queer does. Yes. I think there's a couple reasons for that. One is that, you know, it's a word that queer people themselves use to describe themselves and not every gay person or gay or lesbian person feels comfortable with that term. It's also a generational term that, you know, people who are older are sometimes uncomfortable with it. People who are younger mm. more comfortable with it. Interesting. But it's one of those insider terms that if, unless you're really spending a lot of time with queer people, you might not know that it's okay mm-hmm. to say it. Yeah, let me ask you an, on another subject. And this is, this, is a, this is a tricky one. People from very religious backgrounds, you know, orthodox backgrounds. I'm talking about, you know, very um, uh, to the right and also, you know, very um, orthodox in their beliefs, no matter what their faith is. And so often in that sense, you'll find very strong views about um, homosexuality, particularly from the sexual practice point of view, that it's sinful and it's an aberration. And so the question I have is, what do you say to people who either have those views or people who are surrounded by those people and um, it's very hard for them to um, even open to the concept because of the religious view? Right. I think there's two things. One is that we have to meet people where they're at. And I, right. I personally believe that most people don't actually um, 
feel fulfilled by inequality and oppression. And that if people are complicit in or engaged in practices of, you know, are producing inequities in their relationships, that I think they would want to know about that, would want to undo those if they can see the ways that those things might be damaging. But Mm. often people are not ready to see that or they think um, that that is, you know, that inequality is God's plan or inequality is um, sort of nature's default. And so in that case, we often have to wait for the broader culture to change enough that it brings Mm -hmm. people along. I mean, you had people um, in this country who who defended slavery on religious grounds. You know, you have people who use religion to defend um, really pretty profound um, sexism and misogyny. Mm-hmm. And that mm-hmm. the fact that, that, that someone can claim that that's their faith-based belief doesn't make violence, brutality, profound inequities acceptable. It just doesn't. So what we do is we change, we work at chipping away those injustices, those forms of violence in the broader culture in a way that, that slowly, you know, brings everybody along. Hmm. No, I think that's a good point. And it's going to take years, right? And decades. And for some people, it's not going to happen. But, right. and, and I think, you know, more and more, and I, I'd like to talk about this because more and more we're talking about, um, you know, LGBT. We're talking about it more. I mean, when I um, give corporate webinars and we talk about sexual harassment in the workplace, we're including LBGT, LGBT. We're including that. And we're including people of all different races, genders, ethnicities. So it's becoming much more accepted now. Speak to that, Jane. Yeah, I mean, I think... um one one thing that really moves people is thinking about the people that they know and love in their life who inhabit whatever that category is that has been discriminated against. It shouldn't have to be that way. It shouldn't have to be that, you know, men think, well, I'm going to take a stand against sexual harassment or against um, sexual violence because I'm thinking about my, what it would be like if this happened to my daughter or my wife or my mother, men should be able to say, actually, I don't want that kind of horrible thing, that violence to happen to any woman because women are humans and humans shouldn't experience that. Um, Mm -hmm. Or I don't want discrimination um, and violence to, uh, to be used against LGBT people because that's, because LGBT people are human. But Often we're just not ready to go there yet. So we do know that in addressing racism and sexism um, and religious persecution in the United States, that it has made a tremendous difference when people actually know somebody who is in that very group that is misunderstood and discriminated mm-hmm. against. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I've had friends, for instance, who feel really comfortable with gay and lesbian rights, 
but they don't know a single transgender person. You know, they mm-hmm. they know maybe someone on TV or they've heard of uh, um, Caitlyn Jenner or what have you, but they don't actually know anyone in their life. And when you don't actually know a single person who is in that group, it is so much easier to have stereotypes and judgments about them. So I, I think it's, we see a lot of movement happening in this country in part because as more people come out, as more people, um, you know, un- unlike this idea that, well, it's okay to have a gay person in our family as long as they're not too out or flamboyant about right. it, you know, or yes. hate, hate, <laughs> love the sin or hate the sin. I mean, it's yeah. our job, I think, as queer people to push back against that because it means that people in our families don't mean our spouse, you know, or they don't see our lives or Thanksgiving dinner isn't held in our homes or whatever it may be. And those steps are really important. So let's talk about really what makes a good relationship for any woman, whether she is right, gay, straight, transsexual, whatever she is. So in terms of emotional support, being equal to the partner, Um, sex among the essentials. So talk about that for building a foundation toward a future um, so that, you know, whether you're straight or you're gay, that it works for you. Right. I think what all people want, crave, need in relationships is a degree of self-determination and space to be authentically themselves. And that may sound really simple, you know, or perhaps overly simplified, but when you look at the self-help literature for how to repair, you know, a marriage that's on the rocks or how to, how to catch and keep a man or all of this, you know, these just now thousands of books that are marketed to straight women, um, one of the common threads in that industry is that the best way for women to keep catch or keep a man catch and keep a man is to manipulate them and to not to manipulate men and to not fully be themselves mm-hmm. to learn how to um, express perform way more gratitude for the littlest thing that a a man might do for them um, Mm. than they would normally ever think to express. You know, this is really common in the marriage self-help books that women will be Jane, do you think that happens in um, relationships between the same sex as well? Or do you think it's more in heterosexual relationships? It's more in heterosexual relationships. And the reason is that one of the defining features of straight culture is the belief that men and women are very different and that they need very different things. And one of the common beliefs is that men sort of need to be treated like kings. You know, they need a lot. They need their women partners to express a lot of gratitude whenever they, you know, do basic things like take care of their own children, uh, clean up after themselves, this kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. you'll often hear straight women bragging, you know, I've got one of the good ones. He helps me with the kids. He helps me clean the house. And just that language alone help. You know, it, it, it makes clear that she imagines those things to be her primary responsibility mm-hmm. and he's a helper. So mm-hmm. those, that's, 
simply is not an operation in lesbian gay relationships, um, primarily because we don't go in with an understanding that one, you know, that, that, that we're two people who come from completely different um, cultural experiences and need really different sorts of things. We understand, sure. our, we understand ourselves to be coming in on a level playing field. Yeah, that's very interesting because when you say that, it makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, it really does. And it's something we don't think about. You know, we don't right. think that that's more of a cultural thing. You know, when we say, I can't believe he did the laundry, you know, or he's cooking or whereas if it were uh, two people of the same sex, you wouldn't have that as much. Very interesting. Right, which is why I cannot tell you, if I had a nickel for every straight woman who has said something to me along the lines of, oh, I just, I wish I could be a lesbian, but, you know, I can't, I'm so straight, but my life would be so much easier. Or, oh, if only I had a wife who lived with me. <laughs> or mm. I remember when the, the mm. reality television show Sister Wives, which was about the uh, Mormon polygamy yes. family. Yes, very popular, yes, yes. And yep. there were so many straight women who loved that show and, and were kind of, um, they were big fans of the show and in part because they were fantasizing about what it would be like to have, you know, to have a bunch of sister wives themselves who helped mm. them raise their kids. And, yeah. and I think, you know, this is because straight women recognize that if they had, um, other women in their lives that they would expect something different of those women than what they expect of men. And that ultimately they just don't expect that much at all from men. Yeah. It's very interesting. On that note, I think we're going to take a quick break. It's fascinating. We're going to talk more to Jane Ward, who is a professor of gender and sexuality studies at the university of California at Riverside. And her brand new book is called the tragedy of heterosexuality. And I think um, what we're really going to look at next is about how men and women are embedded in rituals, you know, from Valentine's Day to Sweet 16 to parties and weddings and baby showers and how they shape expectations for normal straight relationships and how they also affect a homosexual and queer relationships. So we're going to talk about sort of the rituals that we're all used to and how that can work for whatever gender you are. And what are the issues there? So you're listening to the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show right here on voiceamerica.com. And again, my, my guest is Jane Ward, and we will be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Tune in every week for Making Action Happen, hosted by Sarah Blackhurst. The program takes you inside Action 22, a Colorado-based community outreach organization established in 1999. The show focuses on public policies, both politically driven or not, which have ongoing and immediate impact on the Colorado community and the world. It doesn't matter where you are, you can make action happen. Listen Thursdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 1 p.m. Mountain Time on Voice America Variety. Join Chris Epting every week for the moment. Chris talks to some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet, including authors, artists, and athletes. And that's just the A-list. These celebrities and public figures have interesting stories that all showcase the moments that their lives took a certain dramatic turn, changing them forever and shaping them to be the person that they were meant to be. Listen for The Moment with Chris Epting, Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. You are listening to The Patricia Raskin Show. If you wish to call into our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That number again is 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. Now, back to The Patricia Raskin Show. Hi, everyone, and we are back. And my guest is Jane Ward who's a professor of gender and sexuality studies at the University of California in Riverside, where she teaches courses in feminist, queer, and heterosexuality studies. She's the author of two previous books, and her newest book is The Tragedy of Heterosexuality. Welcome back, Jane. All right. Um, Let's talk about um, the rituals that we've all embraced Sweet 16, Valentine's, parties, weddings, baby showers. Um, What do you think? I mean, where does that fit into the scope of everybody, not just people who are straight? Well, um, there's a chapter of my book that is about how LGBT people experience straight culture. And so basically I interviewed queer identified people and ask them, you know, what is your, you know, how, how would you describe straight culture? Um, and how do you feel about it? And one of the things that came up as a very common theme was a feeling of alienation from straight culture because it is so scripted and predictable. And as many people described it, boring. And the evidence that um, many of the queer people I interviewed provided 
to elaborate on this had to do with these very kinds of rituals that you're naming, which is that often what we would imagine to be precisely the most personal, um, unique, emotionally significant events in our lives are so scripted by straight culture as to be very predictable. And so the bachelor, bachelorette party, the wedding itself, the gender reveal party, you know, all of this kind of stuff that, um, for one thing, is often gender segregated. I think that's very odd from a queer perspective that, you know, let's take the bachelor party. It's the night before you're supposed to make a commitment to the love of your life. And the way that you celebrate that is to separate uh, from one another, to not see one another, and then instead often engage in these sexist rituals that circulate around the idea that you're about to be locked down, you know, and that this is your last night of freedom. And even, you know, the baby shower here, this is like the celebration of the fact that you have this new family member coming into your life, you're having a baby, and many men don't even attend the baby shower. This is imagined to be somehow an event that's only for the woman in the relationship and, and her friends. So this is something many queer people pointed out as odd to them. And I think, you know, one of the great things about being queer is that as we get married, as we have children, we often reinvent these rituals um, because they simply don't suit us. So we have to. But yet, but yet, couldn't, why can't people who are not straight, if you will, uh, have those same things? The parties, the bachelorette parties, or whatever it is. I mean, why can't, why can't they do the same thing in a different way? Well, they, we could. It's just that the logic of those kinds of rituals is often a sexist logic or a logic that's rooted in the gender binary or the idea that the two people involved are people of opposite genders. So it wouldn't make sense for me, for instance, you know, when, when my wife and I had our child, for us to have a baby shower and then she didn't participate in it, um, that mm. just would have made sense to us. Because again, yeah. that kind of is it's that that idea is anchored in sexism. The idea that parenting is primarily a woman's business, and so women are going to be the ones who want to, you know, give each other onesies and open the presents, and um, and that men, you know, maybe even if they're if they're there at all, will be in the other room drinking beer and watching football. You know, it's just it's just too sexist to really appeal to us. And so this is what I'm suggesting in this book is that. Uh, to me, the question isn't, should queer people be engaging in these rituals? The question is, could straight people learn to remake these rituals in the same way that queer people have so that they're less sexist? Yes. Yeah. That's a tall order, isn't it? It is. And um, I think um, younger straight people are already doing this. Um, and I, I think we are aware of the absurdity of some of this and just 
that awareness of the absurdity can go a long way. I just, just this past weekend on Saturday Night Live, they had a skit that was satirizing the bachelor party and what a bizarre and homoerotic ritual it is Mm. for straight men Mm. who get together and, you know, the joke in the, in the Saturday night live skit was I'm about to marry the woman I love tomorrow. So I'm going to get together with my male friends and we're all going to have erections in front of each other while we watch the stripper perform and how, Mm. how, weirdly homoerotic that is. Mm. It's it's these kinds of bizarre contradictions that run through straight culture that that we really have to think about, like, what's the logic of this? And what does it really say about the relationship um, that this is the way it's being celebrated? Yeah, interesting. All right, well, I'd like to, there's been so much what is it, what's your real message of this book, The Tragedy of Heterosexuality? What is it you really want our listeners to, to know and to get? Well, thank you for asking that, because I think sometimes people who haven't read the book, but maybe just look at the title of the book, the cover of the book, think that the message is going to be that straight people shouldn't be straight. The message is the opposite. The message is, um, in fact, this is the the subject of the last chapter of the book is that I think straight people have the potential to be even more straight than they are. What, and I call this deep heterosexuality. And by that, I mean that straight men in particular would learn to like women so much to be so attracted to women that they actually really like women that they not just, desire to have sex with women or to be in a relationship with women so that, you know, they can have all the bells and whistles that come with that relationship, but that they actually have so much of an identification with women and attachment to women, uh, um, uh, a feeling of a, of a pull, a gravitation towards women, that they really crave women's leadership. They want women's collective freedom, they care about what happens to all women, but they start to invest in women. This is what it's like to be a lesbian. You know, when you're, for most lesbians, you're attracted to women, but you also, that attraction to women is inseparable from your interest in what happens to women as a group, from your interest in women having a better life, women having freedom this we would call feminism, you know, that this is why so many lesbians are feminists. And similarly, I suggest in the book that straight men, rather than having most of their respect and admiration go to other men, that if they're really straight, if they're as heterosexual as they say they are, then there should be more of that respect and admiration going towards women. And so I give some concrete suggestions about what that might look like to achieve this thing that I'm calling deep heterosexuality. What I'm hearing, you know, the word that keeps coming up for me is tolerance, awareness, uh, understanding, um, you know, understanding that we're all, we have all these sort of, oh, predisposed roles and attitudes that, um, that can change if we want them to. 
Yeah. What, what would you say to that? I agree. Absolutely. A lot of this is just, you know, all it's a lot of cultural baggage mm-hmm. that we have all learned. And it's, we were not born with these ideas. And so we can absolutely unlearn them. Thank you. Uh, how can people find you? I a tweet at the queer Jane, and you can also Google JaneWardPhD.com and find um, more about me on my website. Okay, thank you so much, Jane. It's been a pleasure to have you on the program. Really, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, stay on the line for a second. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of the Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show. Remember, stay healthy, stay happy, get the support you need, and know you can make your dreams come true. You can find me on Facebook, Patricia Raskin, Raskin Resources, and like me there. If you'd like to find out who these wonderful guests are that come on every month, sign up for my newsletter by writing to me, Patricia at PatriciaRaskin.com. And if you're thinking of doing your own podcast and and would like some coaching services of how to put it together or a co-host, that's what I do is I've interviewed about 5,000 people in my career. So love to help others uh, make their voices heard. All right. Until next time, I'm Patricia Raskin. Have a wonderful week. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of the Patricia Raskin Show. Be sure to join Patricia Raskin and another amazing guest next Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have an outstanding week. We'll be right back.